I am going to be doing a shorter podcast this week because I'll be honest, I'm a little pooped from this weekend. About eight hours a day of pure passive investor networking at the bubble. Thank you all for coming. We almost had a hundred folks join us in the plethora of breakout rooms. I think a lot of people made lifelong connections. This week's podcast, we're going to be briefly going over what is an institutional grade investment and operator. But before we do that, I just want to catch up people where we are in the economy and what is some of my opinions of things going forward. The Fed pumped almost $4 trillion into the economy in the past six or seven months. You can bet that this is likely the reason why stocks are now at an all-time high. Now, I don't know if this is going to continue, but I do know that true wealth comes to those who create value. And for those of you guys jumping into opportunities that do value add, aka rehab the property to create better living conditions for people who in turn pay more money for that product are the ones who are going to have sustainable long-term wealth. Those people who trade money, like you've got our Amazon business or eBay business where you just buy things low, sell high, it's just easy come, easy go. And the same about buying crypto, Bitcoin, or just trading stocks. What value are you adding there? What value are you adding to society? But anyway, all this money is going into the system, propping stocks up. But what about inflation? Shouldn't inflation come? Well, I was just watching some of Richard Duncan's videos, who is an economist that I follow. And if you guys want to get more information about Richard Duncan, see the past podcast he was on, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash Duncan. Check out his newsletter there too. I subscribe to it. And while you're there, check out all the other things on simplepassivecashflow.com if you've never checked it out. And join our investor club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor. Now, what's going on here? Why is the money supply growing by leaps and bounds, yet inflation is not happening? Part of this has to do with we are not backed by gold anymore. And it has decoupled the correlation with the amount of money that's out there and inflation. Money is just another form of credit, and that credit's being created by the Federal Reserve. And that's why money supply really doesn't really matter. Although a lot of people say, when is this going to end? This is all going to come down. People say that all the time. But a lot of these people are, what are they selling to you guys? What's their product of the week? They're trying to sell to you gold, which is why they're trying to claim the doom and gloom thing. Whereas I don't know if the doom and gloom is going to happen, but I do know people need a place to live at the end of the day, especially good value rents between $700 and $1,200 a month, what we call workforce housing. Richard Duncan says that the credit supply is now what counts. And he outlines four scenarios here. First scenario is where inflation interest rates remain low. This would probably be the best possible scenario for asset prices. And I think we know one thing in all these scenarios that the government is going to be spending more money. I mean, Biden's in there and he's going to be putting more money into the system, which I ultimately think helps investors. Now, the Fed is likely to be putting more money into the system. This is going to keep things going. Richard Duncan, actually, he made a comment where he thinks that we are nowhere near the end of seeing the last of stimulus. He says that we might even go two times of what we see now from about $4 trillion to $8 trillion. Scenario two that he talks about is higher inflation with higher interest rates. This would be the worst scenario for asset prices. The economy would obviously get a boost from the increased government spending, but significantly higher interest rates would 
probably come. So those of you guys who are watching interest rates on your primary residence should probably be wary of this possible scenario. Gold is seen as a hedge in, against inflation, but significantly higher interest rates could actually cause the price of gold to fall. Scenario three is higher inflation without higher interest rates. And I actually think this is where we are heading. Normally when inflation increases, interest rates move higher too. However, as we said before, the Fed is adopting a new thing called yield curve control, which is like quantitative easing, where it holds the interest rates at this unnatural level, but it is the new natural. It's whatever the Fed desires. For instance, if they want it at 3%, they keep it at 3%, even though the inflation was at 5 or 6%. So this new government spending would boost the economy and it would be combined with lots of quantitative easing or yield curve control. And this would likely push asset prices up. In this case, savers are the losers. If you got money in your cash, bonds, savings accounts, or maybe in equity, debt, lazy equity in your homes or your rentals, you will be the loser. And the last scenario is a short-term rise in inflation and interest rates, followed by a subsequent decline in vote. Either way, I think we've had several guests on, even Jim Rickard, who you're going to hear coming up in the coming weeks, but Richard Duncan, John Burns, they're all pointing towards this bullish sign, and we'll see what happens. If it comes, great. Cap rates will fall, and our properties will increase in value. But if it doesn't, hey, we still cash flow. Heads I win, tails I win. So here's to a great 2021. And if you guys haven't, connect with me. Join our investor club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And let's get to know each other a little bit better. And here's the rest of the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. I'm going to be explaining what an institutional asset is. Now, institutional asset is a little bit different than what we normally go after when we're looking for a 50 to 300 unit apartment complex. An institutional asset is a higher grade than that. And certainly it's bigger than your single family home, duplex, triplex, or quad. So institutional asset normally is around higher than five to $20 million in purchase price. And in these properties, they're usually the largest buildings in the skyline, lower cap rates, somewhere in the two to under five cap rate land. And these are usually what the assets that large family offices, hedge funds, insurance companies, or any other institutional operator that is just trying to invest large sums of money. They're not quite in it to make the best return but they more want the reliability. This is usually what is invested in large clunky REITs. They'll go after these more institutional assets because it's a lot easier for them to manage them also. Downsides with these things, despite you get the reliability, it is lower returns. Are you a non-incredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double-digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund, or AHP, is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them. I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. 
AHB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company. You can start investing with as little as 100 bucks. And if you want a free bird zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to hpservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. What is an institutional operator? An institutional operator is a operator that manages apartments, mobile home parks, or office space, or commercial retail. Again, this is the operator we're talking about. I consider myself more of a middle market operator where we've been around, we've done deals, we went full cycle on some properties, but we haven't been around for decades. A lot of investors always ask, I want to work with an operator that has been around since 2008. And I'll be honest, especially in the apartment investing world, you're not going to find them. I've tried to look for them. They're not out there because they have been around since 2008. What they've been doing slowly is swimming upstream. So they don't work with small private equity guys, guys that are a million dollars, a few million dollars net worth, putting in 50 to $200,000 chunks. They're swimming upstream so they can eventually grow into a large REITs so that they can extract more fees and better profit splits for themselves. So going back to ourselves, I'm the principal of the company. I'm typically the one making management decisions, interacting with third-party property managers, or maybe we have them in-house. I don't have, maybe likely one day we'll have an investor relations staff, but we don't have all these operational staff, like a manager of operations, Texas, a director of operations, Alabama, for example. I'm the guy. And I think that's why a lot of people like investing because we're not small, we're not new, but we're not also large and big and clunky. The reason why people like to work with middle market operators and why I, as LP, like to invest with middle market operators, because when you start to go to the institutional operators, they charge very heavy fees. Acquisition fees are typically over three to 4%, which is crazy to me. Remember, you have to add up all loan fee, guarantor fee. All these other fees, they're all acquisition fees. They're all just tricky ways to make you think that the acquisition fee is lower than it is. So in addition to the fees, you also have worse splits for passive investors and not necessarily saying that an 80-20 split is good or bad. The operator is going to take more as they become more institutional and as their cost of capital gets cheaper from their perspective. So as an investor, you want to get a good blend of both, and especially when your network is lower than a few million dollars, you've got to grow your money. You can't just invest with institutional operators, in my opinion, but institutional operators have been around the block, possibly five, 10, 15, 20 years in some cases, and they have large bloated staff a lot of times. A lot of operators, and you, you'll see a lot of these companies where they have to continually do deals just to get acquisition fees, just to get that three, 4% of big money to come into the office so they can pay their office staff and keep the lights on. I don't want to run a business like that where I need to do deals just to do deals, just to pay my staff. But a lot of these companies have created this type of infrastructure where that's how they need to do it. So some of my more higher end clients, the guys that are over a few million dollars net worth, I may suggest to go in and work with some institutional operators in certain asset classes. But for a lot of us that are under that, 
it may not make sense from a reward perspective. What you definitely don't want to be doing is working with a newbie operator. And you guys know who I'm talking about. We talk about a lot of times. These are the guys who just created a podcast out of the blue because everybody can make podcasts these days. You just read a little script and in front of the, the microphone right here and you got yourself a podcast. And now everybody is like a syndication expert these days. I'll tell you, Creating a podcast, if you don't do it efficiently, there's no way in heck you can be the primary operator. So typically, the guy on the mic is really the marketing side of the company. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to cut through the, the noise. Who are the people who are actually doing the work? And is this operator that I'm interacting with, are they truly more of an institutional operator? Or have they been around the block? Or are they a complete newbie? Telltales are guys still working their IT job. And they do this apartment investing on the side, but they have great understanding of Upwork and Fiverr and how do you get a VA to do a nice little PDF pitch check. And they have great presentation skills and they can put together a very concise webinar. So don't be fooled by all this. They could very well be very new. Just because they can put together a shiny presentation doesn't mean that they can operate or they have a track record. I'm all for people going after their dreams, but I don't want to be putting my 50 grand to be powering that. I want to see people to be at least in a few deals, getting their track record going. And that's why I prefer to work with more middle of the range operators. I've said it a lot of times before, it's the same reason why I don't work with certain CPAs that charge our clients 10, 20, $30,000, even though they might be fine and they do a really good job. I just don't think it's worth it. Uh, at the same time, I won't go to the low end and I won't work with like H&R Block or do TurboTax. It's just not good quality and you're not getting all the deductions. I work with value operators and value vendors, and that's just my brand. Is it a little bit more risky? Yeah, but I think the risks outweigh the reward and you get the better returns in the middle. It's very hard for passive investors to distinguish between complete newbies who are pretty nifty with making PDFs and presentations from those operators who have been around the block a little bit. That's why I stopped going to real estate meetups and different conferences these days because I'm in this business. I'm a syndicator. I know all the little tricks and games they play. I know when they say something and it's complete nonsense. When they say it during a presentation, I make a list of these things. And still, I have a really hard time to trying to figure out who is legit. Again, the only play, way to do this is to work with pure passive investors and see who they've had a good experience with and go off of that. And that's why the appeal of working with more institutional operators, um, even though the returns are lower, the reliability is there. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.